Mac Power Users, Episode 546, The Best Listeners. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my co-host and friend, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. You are always way more energetic than I am at the top of the show. I need to work on that. I love Mac. I just love podcasting. It's fun. And just imagine a lonely lawyer sitting in a room working on contracts all day and someone says, hey, you could go talk technology for a couple hours. It's pretty good. Pretty good deal. Just channel that, man. Channel it. <laughs> it is uh it's a, going to be a busy episode we got a bunch of uh feedback and various things we have to touch on a, l- a bit of yeah. a grab bag today yeah yeah feedback time lots of great feedback from listeners and uh lots of i, I love how the listeners bring in ideas that never occur to us so i and we've got a lot to talk about today yeah we do let's start with uh let's start with notes apps because it's fresh and we didn't touch on every note app, of course, and we I think we have some some specific ideas on where to go next with it. Uh, but tell us what Tim wrote about because I'm curious about how you think about this. Yeah, so Tim wrote in about the live scribe. The, the last segment of the notes episode was about handwritten notes, and live scribe is a pen. And I used to have one of these. I had the first generation one. And at least at the time, it had like a camera in it and it had a special like dot pattern paper you'd write on. And anything you'd write on the page would get recorded digitally and it would create a digital facsimile of the page. It was very clever technology. And of course, it's just got better over the years. And Tim is a big list, a big user of it. And, um, you can, you know, it's so you can have the the joy of handwritten notes, you know, writing into a notebook. You need to buy their paper, although you can also print it out. But you could also have the advantage of, you know, the digital capture. So you could easily send the note off to people and, and do that. And, and Tim's a big user of it. Like I said, I used it as well. Um, and this was quite a while ago when they first came out. One year I was speaking at the tech show, the lawyer thing, and they had a stand there and I bought one. And I'll tell you what really killed me on it was the ballpoint pen. They had like a ballpoint pen. And the reason why was they needed pressure to trigger the technology on the inside of the device. Like you had to be pressing down. You didn't want that camera or, you know, all the underlying sensor technology running 24 seven or the battery would die really quick. And so I, uh, I gave up on it cause I just hated the ballpoint so much. <laughs> Uh, but it did give me the first chance in my life to say, hold on a second. I'm updating the firmware in my pen. <laughs> Not as soon as you hear every day. Yeah. Yeah. I've never really tried any of these. To me, it always felt like they were a little bit gimmicky. And I guess I just assumed that they didn't work very well. Uh, so I just never really went down this road. The LifeScribe works. If you're looking for a system where you can write down on a piece of paper and capture it digitally, simultaneously this is worth checking out and I, I should have written tim back i don't really know what the current state of their pen technology is in terms of the writing service but i assume they still need that pressure sensitivity and if they're still in the ballpoint that's where i get to put on my mike hurley pin snob hat and say mm-hmm. thank you but no thank you and what's the software story on this i mean you're writing in a notebook the pen is capturing it digitally yeah where does it go you open up the app and there it is. Okay, great. so so they've yeah. got their own app that sort yeah. of pairs with it. Yeah. Okay. 
The uh, on handwritten notes, we also got some people writing in about Apple Notes because I mentioned Good Notes and um, <laughs> what is Notability. Sorry. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm good. I'm good. Really, I'm fine. <laughs> notability and Good Notes. So good Notes is the one I I use almost every day, so that one of course is top of mind. But I did not talk about Apple Notes. Apple made a big deal about the handwriting, and I think Scribble is awesome in iOS 14. Um, I did try Apple Notes for a few days as a uh, as a kind of a handwritten note capture device, and I immediately dismissed it. I, I don't care for it. I mean, GoodNotes has like a bunch of features that Apple Notes doesn't have, one of which is the ability to have a magnifying glass on the screen. Like with GoodNotes, you can say this is the section I'm writing on and it has a bigger version of that section at the bottom of the screen. And then you write your text in that section and then it actually goes into the document much smaller, if that makes sense. Okay. That is super useful. Now I get that you can kind of like use your, your fingers to pinch and zoom and do that stuff in Apple notes, but it's no good. You know, it's just, you're constantly fiddling with it with good notes as you, you know, as you're in the magnified section, as you get to the end of the screen, it has a mechanism where you can just go back to the beginning of the line and keep writing and it picks up right where you're left off. They do it very smart. Uh, so you can see the last few words. It's hard to explain. So let's say I'm writing a line of text as I'm getting to the right side of the screen. I have the word users as in Mac power users. So then at the same time, that word user shows up on the left side of the screen with my script. And then I just move the pin to the right and pick up so I know exactly the spacing to continue. And then when you get to the end of the line, there's a carriage return. So you hit the button, it goes back to the next line and sets you up to keep going. It's very efficient if you do a lot of handwriting. And Apple Notes just isn't there. And I'm not sure they ever will be. That's kind of a power user feature that I'm not sure Apple is interested in. But that's a long explanation of why I gave up on it in my head. It didn't even occur to me really to talk about on the show as an option. But if you are okay making very big notes, I guess Apple Notes is an option because some of the cool scribble features like the OCR and the block and copy are pretty nice. I get the sense that Apple's ideal note taker like has text and sketches and links and handwriting stuff all intermixed. Yeah. I just I just wonder how many people really take notes like that. I feel like people are sort of more geared towards one type of input or the other. I mean, how many people are out there mixing them? I just don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I diagram often, like in client meetings, I will uh, open an Apple Note. Historically, I've done it in Apple Notes. The last six months or so, I've really become a Good Notes fan. Uh, but I will just have a blank sheet and I will draw on it. And Apple Notes is perfect for that. It's got a grid. Although it's a line grid, not a dot grid, which is another reason why I'm not a huge fan of Apple Notes. I like the dot grid. But it's got a grid you can draw. You can make sketches and show it to the client and say, is this what you're talking about? And they say, yeah, that's it. So you you can save that digitally. And when I first started in this racket, everybody did it in these yellow legal pads. Well, the problem was then how do you capture that? Right. And how do you not lose it? And, you know, it's just like, so it's just so much easier to do that digitally. Uh, Apple Notes has got some good features, no no question. But in my mind, if you're going to be taking notes and you actually want to write on the page, I think good notes and notability have it beat. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, one thing in the notes discussion, I don't think I really 
I really touched on is that I do a lot of handwritten notes. Uh, I keep sort of a running log throughout my day. I take notes on phone calls, recording notes. I do all almost all of that in a field notes notebook, just the brand that yeah. I like. Yeah. But I end up scanning them when I fill them up and naming the PDF for the date range that I use in the notebook. So if I can go, I can go back pretty easily and find something either in the PDF or in the notebooks themselves. I keep them all on a bookshelf because I think they look pretty. So that's, uh, that is kind of how I approach this. I have, a, I mean, hundreds of notes in Apple notes, but I do a lot of handwriting too, but I don't really ever, I don't really ever mix them. Yeah. I have been all over the board on this. I have paper notes. If you listen to the focus podcast, me and Mike talk about, you know, writing in, you know, the, uh, the fancy paper books and just plain paper books. And I've tried them all. And, when we started prepping this notes show, I decided, well, I'm going to use notability and good notes more. So I, I did journal daily journaling in, in both of them. And now I find I'm still doing daily journaling in good notes. So that show kind of pulled me back into the digital and I still have uses for some of the fancy paper and stuff, but honestly, because my iPad is with me so often and the Apple pencil has got so good, I am actually finding the daily journal stuff uh, with good notes is, is uh, sticking. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's totally fine to go back and forth over time, you know, yeah. work, work, what, work with what works for you in a season and don't be afraid to change it. Yeah. And it's just so easy then to export that into day one mm-hmm. because it's an image and day one takes an image and there's, there's, there's some nice things about that. I guess someday we'll have to go back and talk about that. Uh, several listeners wrote in and wanted me to explain further because in the notes app, I talked about the text bank there and they're like, well, explain more what that means to you. A couple lawyers wrote in and a couple non-lawyers just saying, you know, how do you sort that and how do you fix it? And so traditionally, so a text bank is just to summarize, it's a bunch of, of word collections, like from a lawyer's perspective, like the attorney fee clause, you know, people have different ways. They say, if we have a dispute, the winner pays the loser's fees. And I've been practicing law 20 some years. So I've written several of them myself. And every time I do something special, I save it as a separate kind of text bank entry. So now when I'm working on a contract and I'm like, well, I need a special attorney fee clause here. I've got like seven of them I've saved over the years. And I'll go look at my list of them and say, oh, that one's pretty close. And then I'll take it and put it in my contract and make necessary adjustments. Or I'll say that one's not quite what I want but it's in the ballpark. So I'll make significant adjustments and then I'll save that as number eight, you know? So over time I've got these just hundreds and hundreds of little snippets I've collected and created. So how do you organize that? Um, in Apple notes, I did it with nested folders. Um, you know, I had a folder called legal under that and a legal folder called forms. And under that I had folders called uh, disputes, transactional corporate, and, you know, So like I'd have one and a corporate, I've had one for corporate minutes and I'd have all these different clauses I'd written for corporate minutes over the years. So I had this really kind of deep, deep nested folder system. And the problem that booted me out of Apple notes was one day that folder system disappeared on some, but not all of my devices. I I still don't know. I still don't know why that those, the notes never left, but the, but the folder structure was gone and it. That was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> what am I going to do? So, um, uh, the, uh, so that was one of the reasons I was inspired to move all that stuff into drafts. And now as we speak, it's done. My text expander snippet that g- was grinding through finished, and I've got them all in there. And 
Uh, the new system is not folder-based. Uh, drafts does not have a folder-based system. It's tag-based. So I have a, you know, a, ma- a master tag, Sparks Law, and I have a sub-tag, Forms, and then under that there's a bunch of other tags like contract terms and minutes form, you know. And so I just broke down kind of the ideas of the folders I had before. But the advantage of a tagging system is I can have multiple tags on the same bit of text. I mean, that's always been the advantage of tags is you can have one bucket of text sitting in multiple, in essence, folders by tagging it properly. And that took me about a week and a half of uh, TV time. You know, Mm -hmm. I were sitting in front of the TV. I just would have the iPad or the laptop in my my lap and I'd be tagging those. But they're all tagged now and it's all sorted out. Um, the other advantage of putting them in drafts is it's clearly plain text, you know, and I wanted it plain text because I'm often pasting them into pages or word and I want to adopt the formatting of whatever document I'm already working in. So overall, it's been really good. It's kind of weird because in the old days in notes, I could see that whole structure by just expanding the folders and the sidebar and notes. And now these hundreds of notes are in there, but I don't see them in dra- drafts. You know what I mean? There's not like a hierarchy to see them right uh, drafts has a very cool feature called workspaces and i've created um, basically tag list workspaces so i can say give me all my contract terms and sort them alphabetically and it does it for me and so it, it, it there's it's another way to solve the problem but it's not quite as obvious that they're there but it they're there and the tags, I don't have any fear that Greg has done something that's going to cause the tags to one day disappear. <laughs> yeah. Apple Notes kind of did that to me. So I, uh, so my Apple Notes library has gone from something like 1,100 notes, and now it's like 80. I am in Stephen Hackett territory for my Apple Notes library at this point. <laughs> Coming down. Yeah. And I guess, too, if you had a tag you know, mismatch or you left one off, you could always search for the contents of that. Yeah, that text. So if you knew it had a certain phrase, you could you could look it up that way as well. I could just say attorney fee, and it would find everyone. And everyone has a header in it, you know, a level one markdown header that says attorney fee. So I mean, it will find them even without the tags. But I like those workspaces where I can see them. Like you know, hey, give me all of them and let me let me look through them to see if there's anything here that. Makes sense to me, and uh, so it's it's pretty great. And you know, a, a big demand for me with this system is that it has to work on iPad and Mac, um, and it worked that way for Notes, and now it works that way for Drafts. Um, you know, Greg is a friend, the developer of Drafts, and he's been on the show, but well, he's really done a great job. I feel like he is. We may have even said this in the last show, but he was really the poster child for subscription model done right because he just keeps adding features he added a mac app and and that's what if we're going to pay for a subscription we want an app that that continues to grow the way that app has thanks for getting into that a little bit more i know people had 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 some questions and i think that sort of text bank system could be useful to other people not just people who are attorneys right anyone who has kind of large chunks of text they need to reuse in their job that you know, this is beyond probably what you should use text expander for, but I think it could be it could be useful to a lot of people. I know that I've I've started something sort of similar, uh, doing the support for the relay membership where people kind of have common questions, and I've been working on a, a little library of 
responses that I can at least start from, right? To, to answer questions with links and, you know, that sort of thing. And it is really helpful to make sure that I communicate thoroughly, but also that I can do it quickly. Yeah. I like this. The reason this wouldn't work in text expander for me is because there are multiple options for each kind of mm-hmm. category and I just need to go look at them. I like, I got an email from somebody in sales and uh, she thought when she heard me talk about it, she thought she could use this for like a lot of her proposal language. Cause it's yeah. the same thing, different types of proposals for different types of customers. So she's putting one together. And that was one of the persons that asked me to, uh, to explain further. So yeah, I think the idea of a text bank can serve a lot of people. I think it could even be helpful for students and teachers. And just, I can just think of a lot of people that could use something like that. And uh, drafts isn't the only way to do it, but you know, we are talking about notes apps and that's one of my big uses. And, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that situation now because uh, that has migrated over the years. It was in Ulysses for a while. And then, went to notes and I think I'm pretty good now. I I don't see myself spending any more time moving that library again. Good. Yeah. You probably famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Um, one thing that we didn't really get into on the notes application was kind of what you and I had deemed beforehand as more research applications. We kind of touched on Rome, I think, but Devon Think, yeah. Rome, Obsidian, there are others. I, I view them at least as sort of a separate class. Yes, you can use them as notes applications. In fact, in the form, a lot of people are like, yeah, I use Devon Think for Markdown notes. And yeah. they can totally do that. It's a pretty good Markdown editor. But in my mind, these applications are a little bit different. And it may be that we go back to these in like a research tool episode. I think that would be fun or maybe a round two of notes apps. So I guess let us know what you guys think in the, in the forums and we'll pick this back up. Yeah. I really like the idea of research tools. And if you are specifically using some of these tools for research, let us know. I think I fell into that Rome trap because it's the new hotness and it's just something I've been testing, but it doesn't really fit. Like it's not a text bank location. It's not, it's not kind of the traditional notes app that, that we've been discussing on that show. So let us know. We, I, I, I do. Th- I see that in the future, Stephen. A I do research tools show. We've gone from yeah. one notes app to one notes app episode to potentially two. Yeah, <laughs> I, but we're going to call it the research tools. Yeah, slightly show. different. Yeah, because uh, I think they are different. So yeah, uh, are you still using Devon Think for stuff? Yeah, I, I am using the heck out of it. I mean, I. Uh, Devon Think for me, I was never a big fan of it until like. A while ago, I saw this new version three they released, Mm -hmm. and I've got a bunch of stuff I'm doing on the legal side and some of the field guide stuff where I I could use the Devon kind of magic that where it combines between it does it it's a research tool, and it was so funny. I I think I I mentioned this on the show, so I bought it. I mean, like this is great, and I bought it, and then like two days later, they're like, "Hey, uh, Devon is going to start sponsoring the show." So everybody who thinks I'm like a a huckster. This actually, you know, didn't work in my advantage. You know, I, I paid for it like everybody. I didn't even get the Mac Power Users discount on it because they became a sponsor. It's too late. I already bought it. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm using it all the time. I, I really like the, um, and I guess full disclosure, they're a sometimes sponsor. I don't know if they're still sponsoring us or not, but they have recently. Um, but I really like the, the fact that they put so much effort into the iOS app now and like, 
one of the things that really bugs me on iOS is that you can't tag properly. And don't get me started on that, but Devin Think has a tagging system for all your notes. And guess what? It works on iOS. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that kind of stuff is great. How about you? Oh, I'm I'm deep, man. I'm just uh, I'm opening my Devin Think database right now. I've said before I'm using it for Apple and technology history research. So I've got everything from books to screenshots to PDFs. Uh, I am currently at nineteen thousand nine hundred and ninety two items in Devon Think across several databases. One of the things that I've really enjoyed is its ability to pull in from an RSS feed. So I have all of my podcast feeds in there, as long as some specific ones from 512Pixel. So I do this thing every week where I link to like a, a random, it's not random, I have a method, but the knowledge base article of the week. And after doing that for like six years or whatever, I got some overlap. And so now I can just search in Dev and think just in that notebook and see, is this one that I've linked to before yeah. or not? Uh, so I'm, I'm really using it a lot, mostly on the Mac. I've got it on iOS as well. And uh, I'm excited to see, you know, they've said previously they're going to be working on the iOS version this year. I'm looking forward to seeing what that entails. But it it has really met my needs for this because I can go to Devon Think and I can search for something across all of these resources and find what I need and then work on my article or or you know video script or whatever and uh, it's it's been really helpful. So I was using Basecamp for my client management and the vision was that I would have this secure online source so like when I'm working on stuff clients can go in and see it. Mm-hmm. And with about 150 companies I represent, two of them actually used it in the last eight months, mm-hmm. two. So I, I'm like, this is dumb. And and it also added more work because, you know, it uploading everything to an internet, you know, it, it's just like someone who likes automation as much as me, it really posed some challenges and, and just made things slower. So I decided this is crazy. And I... And I needed a new platform to manage that stuff. And if I took away, I have to share it with clients because apparently clients don't want it shared with them. I um, I looked at a bunch of tools and that's what led me to Devon Think. So I've got, at one point I had like 60,000 in one database, but wow. it, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a boss, man. It's great. And like one of the cool tricks is with iOS 14, with time-based shortcuts um, and the fact that, Apple doesn't let Devin thinks iOS app sync in the background unless the app has been running. Right. You know, that's a true across iOS. You know, they don't want apps just randomly booting up and doing things. So at 2 AM every day, my iPad turns itself on and loads up Devin think. So it keeps that crazy large database in sync. How are you syncing that iCloud or Dropbox or what? iCloud. Okay. We'll talk about iCloud and Dropbox later. I got, I've got things to say. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> well, let's take our first break. How does that sound? All right. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU, in all caps, MPU, and you can learn more. Sign up for a free 30-day trial and get 20% off. We're all uh, at home, most of us, a lot of us, and using uh, the internet probably maybe more than we should. And that means interacting with a lot of accounts and signing into things. And, you know, maybe you're working on a home project or these things pop up and you're in and out of websites and applications all the time. And 1Password 
is really the heart of so much of what I do on my Mac, on my iPhone and iPad, because it has all of my passwords safe and secure, synced across all those devices. What's really cool is one password is always on top of new technology. So for instance, on Big Sur, Apple has announced that autofill is going to be coming to macOS. We've had that on iOS for a while. It's going to come to the Mac. And one password is going to be ready for that because they are always working to make it as integrated as possible to keep your stuff secure. If you've got loved ones or you work in a team, one password has versions for all of that stuff. So my wife and I can share things in our family account. I can share things with my coworkers in the team's account for Relay FM. And I can manage access to all of that information all from a central place. So head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more. Sign up for a free 30-day trial and get 20% off when you do. Our thanks to OnePassword for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, can we talk for a minute about Dropbox? Okay. I don't know what happened with Dropbox. Like I, when it first came out, I thought it was great. There used to be a service I used called SugarSync. Oh yeah, and it and it kept running my Scrivener files through the shredder, and you know there wasn't a good cloud source. Or back then, it was um, what was the Apple service before iCloud? What was the one where they put the icon on your desk? And uh, there was uh, iDisk. It was just like iDisk. A, a folder. Yes, iDisk. Yeah. yeah. Everything was horrible and Dropbox just worked. And we were all so happy. I was in on that one, like on day one. And at some point, Dropbox went from a source of joy to a source of grief to me. And I think the two big reasons are, number one, the price just keeps going up every year. And number two, I was looking at all the stuff it installs on my Mac and it feels intrusive. Is that fair? I think it is. I mean, they are using a bunch of officially supported stuff like to get the badges on Finder and everything, but their new app on the Mac tries to do a little bit of everything. It seems like it's a it's pretty resource hungry. So yeah, I get it. And it feels like I was reading that they they kind of put their own file system into the Mac and I'm like, I don't need this, right? I've just been kind of losing enthusiasm for Dropbox at the same time that iCloud Drive is getting better. I'm like, well, I'm already paying for iCloud Drive. Why do I need to also pay for a Dropbox account? Well, uh, in, a, in about a month, my Dropbox account is coming up for renewal. For So a few months ago, I decided I'm going to try and get by without Dropbox. And I wanted to test it. You know, I, I didn't want to, you know, cut off my nose to spite my face. But I wanted to try and see if by the time the Dropbox renewal came around, I could say thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been running this. And. And I just thought it'd be fun to share my experience. So number one, uh, the sharing with iCloud stuff, it's not as good as Dropbox in terms of like, you can't recover deletions and version. While there is versions, it really, it's very wonky and you've got to have an app that sees it. And they essentially iCloud doesn't have versions. Um, So, but I've been working on this new paperless field guide and me and the editor uh, have been sharing iCloud folders and it has been working perfectly. And these are large files are getting passed back and forth between us all the time. And there's been no problems at all, which is great, right? But the problem I, 
I'm running into is the same thing I had with my foray, you know, into using Basecamp. It's like I am in the business of providing a service to people. And here I am trying to say, you need to change your technology because I want to change technology. And that is where I, I'm really hitting a problem. Like a lot of my clients don't have Macs. They don't know what iCloud Drive is. And they want to share and they've all got Dropbox installed already. And to a lesser extent, that's true for the podcasters I work with as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I know you prefer Dropbox. I do. And, and the, um, you know, and I'm sure that if I said, no, no, we, I really want to go on cloud, you'd, you'd come along, but be begrudgingly. And we get these guests on the show that don't always have iCloud access. So, but everybody has Dropbox access. So, so the, uh, the experiment has kind of failed. I think I'm going to have to keep Dropbox, but it's not because of the reasons I thought I, I, it's not because iCloud failed miserably. It's because just Dropbox is so ubiquitous at this point that I almost have to have an account. It is the default solution for this, right? Yeah. I mean, it feels like people who aren't even nerds at least handle Dropbox and and they have features like the file upload. So if someone doesn't have an account, you can just send them a URL and they can upload yeah. a file on the web. And like, that's great for guests. In fact, we send our guests a link like that. So even if they have Dropbox, we don't have to add them to a folder, right? It's like, hey, go to this URL, stick a file at it, and you're done. And Apple just hasn't rounded out iCloud Drive with a lot of those features that could really replace Dropbox for our types of work. Yeah, I mean, and we didn't talk about this in our WWDC shows, but I was hoping that we would get a bunch of those features and we got none of them. And and that was really the nail in the coffin for me giving up Dropbox. Uh, another problem for me is like, okay, so if I install the app and, and put all that garbage on my Mac, I get all the automation features. You know, like Hazel can address Dropbox folders mm-hmm. and I can do a whole bunch of stuff. Part of this experiment was I did not install the Dropbox app on the laptop. So every time I have to upload a file, I have to go to the website, which really isn't that big of a deal. And if you only do it once a month or so, I think that's fine. So I guess my message would be, if you don't need to use Dropbox a lot, you don't necessarily need to install the app. If you want automation, you've got to install the app. And if you don't install it, you you mentioned the website, but apps like Transmit. I believe you can hook up uh, to your Dropbox account so you can just access it as if it's a remote server. So there are other ways on the Mac to access your Dropbox account without dealing with the application. But I run some Hazel stuff on top of Dropbox folders and I do so much sharing that, that doing it through something like Transmit would be a bit of a pain compared to just it being in Finder. Yeah. Another thing they do better than iCloud is the transparency of what gets downloaded and what doesn't. Um, iCloud tries to be clever and give you only what you need, but you know they don't always get it right. And you can force a download off iCloud Drive. You right-click on it. and I, You can also do this on folders, by the way. If you haven't tried it, you right-click a folder and say download all, and then, then you'll get the whole contents of that folder. But the... Um, but Dropbox, you manually set what gets left in the cloud and what comes down. And I think that's probably the better model for nerds and probably the worst model for non-nerds. Uh, but the, um, but I, I am not done. I hope that at some point I can get down to just one cloud drive service 
but this is not the year. <laughs> not quite yet. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some listener feedback, and let's start with your quest for long cables. No, it's not long cables. It's a long cable. A long cable. One long <laughs> cable. Just, yeah, so I, I bought the OWC uh, drive enclosure, and I put an SSD in it because I've run out of space on my iMac. And this is an awesome device. It's like, it feels as fast as internal storage, but, you know, adds multiple terabytes to my, to my computer. The downside is it ships with a, with a um, three foot cable, a one meter cable. And I start, I got thinking because I have this fixation for gluing things to the bottom of my desk. Mm -hmm. that of course I would put this one at the bottom of my desk too, but the cable's not long enough. And I started looking around, and I've been talking about this on the show for like a year now. <laughs> but the, uh, but I just was collecting links that listeners were sending to me, and there's some hope at a price. I guess that's the way to put it. There's an optical cable now for it. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> How much does yeah. that run? Well, Max Sales has one that is two meters, and it is sixty five dollars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking at that thing on my desk. I'm like, I could keep looking at that on my desk and take my family to a nice meal, or I could put it under my desk. <laughs> and, you know, I'd probably think my family. Yeah, well, to one. be fair, you probably shouldn't uh, be eating out right now. So you yeah, got some time. Yeah, that's true. Or get a nice meal delivered. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, nice takeout. In California, you can't go out to eat right now. It's not even an option. But the... uh but anyway, yeah, they're, they're, we'll put some links in the show notes. But they, the cables are starting to show up, but they're optical and they are mega expensive. And then I got thinking, a two-meter optical cable, what's the likelihood of that breaking? I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of experience with optical cables outside of like fiber networking. Audio, yeah. Um, yeah. And fiber is pretty fragile. But I mean, looking at this thing, it looks kind of beefy. I think it'd be okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it into a rope to like, you know, walk the dog with or something, but I think it'd be okay. Yeah. So, so there's some related rabbit holes to this whole thing because USB-C as it showed up, I was, I'm a believer in it. I like the smaller cable. I think that, you know, I think we've kind of hit a new standard that we're going to have for a long time and I'm, I'm ready just to kind of move in a hundred percent, but there have been things I've been looking for in addition to long, fast cables and one of them is just a USB-C hub. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I went down the rabbit hole on Amazon and on the internet. And I didn't realize that with the current USB-C standard, a USB-C hub is not possible. I mean, these things are so fast, which is great, but they just, the technology just doesn't lend itself to the traditional USB-A hub. You know, everybody had those things where you'd plug one cable into your Mac and then you'd have something that had like seven or eight, you know, additional ports that you could add. And I thought, well, there must be something like that for USB-C and there isn't. And I started researching it and there's a new standard. Intel has a new standard for Thunderbolt four. And one of the big features is not much faster than Thunderbolt three, which is what they're using in USB-C, but it can support docks up to four ports. That is like one of the big selling points of the Thunderbolt 4 spec, which I don't believe is even out yet. Um, and it, I just kind of, I thought it was worth sharing with the audience that 
the reason nobody can find these is that the spec doesn't even support um, these uh, these docks with multiple ports. Yeah, they're just, they're just not a thing. You've really got to go to a Thunderbolt dock if you want a bunch of ports out of it. You know, the USB-C stuff just doesn't do it. And, I mean, USB is so confusing. USB 3, there's like three different versions of it. And then... USB 4 and Thunderbolt 4 are sometimes the same thing, but they're not inclusively the same thing. It's it's such a mess. Yeah, I keep thinking we're going to come out of this at some point. But when I saw the existence of the Thunderbolt 4 spec, I realized, oh, no, this is never going to end. They're going to continue to update this stuff. And we're going to continue to have cables that look the same, but do different things. Like, mm-hmm. I guarantee you people are going to send me links to like nine foot USB-C cables after this show publishes, it happens every time, but that's not what I need. One that can support the speed of this thing. Yeah. I mean, I, the, after I spent all this money on this enclosure and this drive, I don't want the drive to become, you know, half the speed it was because I used the wrong cable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's really crazy. And I, uh, I feel like it's going to be an, an ongoing thing and we're going to just have to deal with it. And, uh, <laughs> that's what we're doing. But you, you spent some money recently in a Thunderbolt dock, right? I did. So I picked up the CalDigit TS3 plus Thunderbolt 3 dock. It's basically the one a lot of people agree on is kind of the way to go. So I've been using the USB-C 12 South Go, which I, I really like. I recommend it. I've got it in the show notes. Go check it out. Uh, but I needed that dock on a Mac mini setup that I'm building for my kids. They're going to do school at home in the fall. And, you know, it's it's virtual with their classroom and their teachers. And in the spring when they were home, they just did it on an original MacBook, which was really slow. And the camera was garbage. I was like, you know what? Let's set up a Mac mini. I'll get a display and a webcam and they can have like a, a set computer space. But the way I've got it set up, the back of the Mac mini is not very easily reached if they need to plug in something. And so I ended up putting the 12 South Hub with that Mac mini. And realized that I needed to have something else. Uh, you know, my Mac Pro has Thunderbolt ports on the top of it, but they're kind of a pain to get to. And I use SD cards all the time. I want something on my desk or right under my desk with uh, SD slots and other things. So I, I bought this this CalDigit one. Um, it's expensive. I could have just done another USB C hub, but I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy another hub. I like to get something a little bit nicer and the CalDigit one was really praised by people. So I decided to check it out and it's, it's really nice. Yeah. And for instance, this has Thunderbolt three 40 gigabyte uh, USB-C connectors on it, but those are coming in, right? Those aren't going out. So the, on the back of it, there is a regular, like regular Thunderbolt port, uh, like to your computer. You, then you yeah. have one Thunderbolt out. So if you wanted to, if yeah. you wanted to daisy chain this through a monitor or something, you could do that. But then you have some other USB C ports as well, both ten and five gigabits per second. So it's it's kind of a mix. Yeah, but those aren't the fast. You only get one fast one out. That's just the that's the spec. I don't think they can yeah. go beyond that. Yeah, this is a nice this is a nice piece of gear though. Yeah, and it's it's a little overkill. But I also bought it thinking if I can ever travel again. Uh, this could be something that's useful on the road as well. It's a little big, but there are times where I need like audio, like actual audio in and out of my laptop, like, you know, eighth inch audio. 
Um, and so it, it may end up traveling with me some too, but it's overkill for what I needed, but it's, it's really nice. And I've got this fancy dock uh, under my display now. And you've also got an SD card reader, which is probably useful for all the video stuff you do. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, I was using the 12 South for that, but it was on the side and kind of a pain where they put it. So now it's just right on the front. I could pop it in and uh, it's great because, um, you know, using like a USB-C to SD card, like adapter plugging into the top of the computer got old really quick. Yeah. I, and that that's my, I think one of my very few complaints about the iMac Pro is just landing the SD card and that SD card oh, slot in the a, back of it's it. It's impossible the first time. Yeah. And the, um, and also that's the one thing that isn't entirely consistent with me. Sometimes I'll see it and it won't see it and I'll need to do it a couple times to get it to work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but the, uh, yeah, that's nice. Well, you went all in on a dock. I did. Yeah. All the way in. I have, um, on my iMac pro, I am nearly out of ports, so I I'm okay now, but I don't know what I'm going to do at some point. We have to stop buying stuff, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, we also had, uh, I talked on the show recently about the air Apple TV and the AirPods and, and bemoan the settings that you have to, you know, cause I use AirPods with Apple TV, but you got to go into the settings and it's a total pain in the neck to turn them on. And then we heard from a listener, Rolf, uh, Rolf was like, I think he was in Europe somewhere, but, uh, Netherlands. Uh, and so, um, he sent me a screenshot of his TV and I'm such an idiot. There is, you know, on their control panel. Yeah. There's yeah. a control center. There's an air. Yeah. I mean, they, it's right there. There's a button. You just press it. I mean, I've used that control center a hundred times and I never noticed that. I don't think I've ever use control center on the apple tv we don't have multiple users set up on ours maybe that's why i'm not using it but i honestly had forgotten that it was there and i'm going to put a a link in the show notes to the uh, apple's documents you know kind of walking through what's in it like it's cool but i just it completely slipped my mind that it was a thing i use it to turn the tv off um i forget what's the name of that standard where the tv can recognize the power yeah, from H- an external hdmi cec i think yeah so i have that turned on mine so all i do the apple tv is really the only input we use except for occasionally like the nintendo switch uh so i just hold down the uh what is it the right button i don't even know what they are as i'm sitting here but the the right button on the control i think it's the home button which would make sense and then it it pops out, and then you press the uh, left button, and it closes the TV, and, and closes down the Apple TV and turns the TV off. So we use it to turn the TV off and on. But you you can do a lot more. You can like look at the music. You can change the audio source. Mm-hmm. You can do a search, and and you can switch between users. We don't switch between users because we bought everything on my account since forever. So there's no reason to switch. I don't think I've ever used headphones or AirPods with my Apple TV. Ever. It's, it's, the need has never arisen. I use them pretty often. The, uh, I mean, I used Bluetooth before there were AirPods. But, you know, we've got a bunch of people in a relatively small house. And if you're watching TV and uh, you don't want to disturb them, use them. I also use them in the bedroom, too. The AirPods are a great uh, match for the Apple TV. If you've got a set of AirPods and you've got an Apple TV, they make it very easy to connect, especially now that Rolf has showed me this <laughs> And the, uh, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is sort of a rising out of the show. It was in the forums and it was something that Dr. Drang pointed out. 
uh, and it actually wasn't Dr. Drang who came up with it. It was one of the listeners in the forums that the idea of multi-line text replacement um, with the built-in text replacement tool, uh, you know, because if you make a multi-line text replacement on iOS, it doesn't work. It also doesn't work if you try to make one on the Mac. But if you paste in multi-line, so if you have like, you know, yours truly comma new paragraph David, and you paste that in on the Mac, it'll accept it. And then on the iPad and iPhone, it will work. (laughs) It's like, how did this, how did this get through? I feel like this is one of those engineers snuck it through features. I guess I've read this. Uh, my first thought was I didn't know it didn't do multi-line because I don't ever use the built-in text replacement yeah. stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't surprise me that it's a little bit a little bit goofy. Yeah, well, it's, text expander is safe. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we didn't talk about the fact that sometimes it just like drops things. I I, I still have that happen where iCloud loses one of my text replacements. Ugh. But the uh, but uh, but the, I thought that was interesting and worth sharing. Something else we heard from uh, listener George about the future of Safari plugins, and we are we're going to work on a a show maybe even in the next month or so about Safari and all of its features and talking about browser stuff. But a change that was announced at WWDC that I think went a little under the radar, honestly, because it's kind of a kind of a big deal, uh, yeah. is that Apple has built a system where commonly used JavaScript APIs and file formats in extensions for Google Chrome and Firefox and Microsoft Edge can be reused to build Safari web extensions. So years ago, Safari had a a fairly robust uh, extensions sort of ecosystem, not as good as Chrome. I think, I mean, Chrome, there's an extension that can do basically anything. But over the years, Apple's changed it, and the current situation is a little bleak. Safari, and it's true in the new system too, is that Safari extensions have to be extensions of full-blown Mac apps. You have to use Xcode. You have to distribute in the App Store. But making it easy to bring extension types over from other browsers, I think could be a little bit of a renaissance when it comes to options for Safari users who need these sorts of things. Yeah, and I think for Apple, the concern has always been security. Yeah. You know, just so easy to get in trouble security-wise with these extensions. And as I understand it, I am not, I have not studied this, but as I understand it, talking to developers, that Apple has figured a way to have its cake and eat it too, and in that they can preserve user security, but also kind of open up the world of extensions better. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, that'll be great. And I look forward to trying out some cool extensions and safari 14 will be not only on mac sur but on 10.14 mojave and 10.15 catalina as well so you don't have to go to big sur just to get this feature which is nice apple apple's done that for a long time you know backported versions of safari to previous os's i like mac sur better than big sur did i say mac sur yeah (laughs) i like that Big Mac, sir. I guess there's been some controversy over how you say Big Sir. Well, um, one YouTuber, our friend Quinn Nelson, said it with a with a very uh, South American 
flourish on it, and I, I can't do that, so I'm just calling it Big Sur. Big Sur is right, man. I'm a native. I get to be an authority on okay. this. Yeah. Big Sur. Big Sur. All right. It's, it has been ruled. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Miro, an online collaborative whiteboard platform. Sign up for a free account today at miro.com slash MPU. You know what I love? I love when we get a sponsor that introduces me to a new product that becomes essential to me. And that's what happened with Miro. I'd never heard of them. And now I use them all the time. Miro is the online whiteboard that brings teams together. Their infinite canvas is perfect for brainstorming, making mock-ups, organizing files, and managing complex projects. They even have templates to help you get started quickly. And you can actually host meetings in the same frame as your collaborative whiteboard, which is super handy because it means you can discuss items as you go. So I, you know, like everybody else, I'm working from home. I've got a bunch of clients I need to deal with and I've been using Miro to help set up these meetings and we plan contracts. We strategize corporate stuff. We do all sorts of cool stuff with Miro and everybody's using it. They got no problem. It's just working. And I'm just really happy with Miro. They have over 5 million users and 80% of fortune 100 companies use Miro. Those are some pretty impressive stats. How did I never hear about it before? And Miro can integrate with programs you already use, like Google Drive, Dropbox, Jira, Slack, and more. Start collaborating for free when you sign up with an account at Miro.com slash MPU. That's M-I-R-O.com slash MPU. To sign up for free, uh, get your account with unlimited team members. Go there now. Check it out. Let them know you heard about it at Mac Power Users. Miro.com slash MPU. And our thanks to Miro for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. All right, what's next? We got more feedback. Um, one of the listeners wrote in saying, Hey, I've got some downtime. And you and Katie years ago talked about recording family members. Where do you stand on that now? And I thought, this actually is a pretty good time to talk about that. I think it's a great idea to sit down with video or audio and record stories from your family members. It's something that I desperately wish I had done with my mother before she passed. And, um, and my kids are asking questions about her now. And, you know, if I only had not been an idiot, I could have had some great video and audio for her. But as uh, Mac power users, what do we recommend to the listeners to pull this off? And I know you do a lot of video, Steven. So I thought it'd be fun to let you take the first crack at this. Yeah. So, this is not as doesn't have to be as complex as it as it may seem. In fact, honestly, if you're and basically all of my things are kind of built on you're in the same room. So if you're remote, it, it gets it gets trickier. But if you're together using something like voice memos on your iPhone, honestly, is probably good enough if it's a quiet room. Uh, the iPhones have incredible microphones on them. And I think you'd be surprised at how good that quality can be. And then you can just share it out to, you know, wherever you're going to save it. If you want to do something uh, a little bit more in quality, I like the Zoom H1N. It's a little handheld field recorder. It has microphones built into the top of it. So again, you're not doing something where you're setting up microphones for everybody. Because honestly, I think that feels intimidating to a lot of people. Like we may be used to it, but I think most people sit in front of a microphone and they feel uncomfortable. And the H1N, you could have it on a little tripod and 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 sit near each other, you know, next to each other on a couch or something, and and be able to talk, and it, it would 
that the quality would be definitely better than what the iPhone itself could do. And that records directly onto an SD card, yep. so it'd be very easy to get that audio into your Mac and do whatever you want with it. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I think on the organization side, you know, spending some time on organizing it, you know, I don't, ha- I don't know if I have any like specific thoughts on how to do that, but don't just keep like really long WAV files in your Dropbox. Like, take some time to chop them up and, or at least organize them in some way so you can find things in the future, so you're not skimming through a bunch of stuff. If you want to do it in person but sit across from each other, normally I don't recommend the Blue Yeti because I don't think it's necessarily a great microphone, but it is one of the few things that you can sit across from each other and it pick up on both sides. Most microphones are just picking up in one direction. The Yeti has a setting to pick up both back and front of the microphone, and you can plug that into a Mac and record the audio straight into QuickTime. And, and just have it on your Mac uh, from the get-go. So there are lots of options. It doesn't have to be this big, expensive production, but you know you could probably just do it with what you have or just spending just a, a little bit of money to see a, a pretty nice jump in quality with the with that little Zoom recorder. Yeah, I, I think like the, um, the audio is the hard part of this. I think for if you wanted to do it with video, you could just set up an iPhone yep. and shoot video and it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. However, I would add that spend some time with that get the person lit properly and and like if it's a not you're you know in alex's case who wrote in it's a 90 year old person he doesn't you know you don't want to stick them under hot lights but you could get the window to the right you know in front of them and you could you, you could just spend a few minutes getting them lit properly so this video is a better quality it's not that hard and i would also add to that i think for audio if you're going to shoot video um consider a little lav mic you know like you could get a lav mic and plug it into a zoom recorder Mm -hmm. or rode makes a very nice wireless lav mic that you could plug into your iphone i believe and just record directly but but if you're going to shoot video why not make the audio just a little better and i'm with steven you know just get it organized get it into short bits and you know get the stuff distributed mm-hmm. once you get it recorded don't put it on your dropbox give it to everyone in your family because digital files do disappear you know drives crash and whatever not everybody has the backup regimes of mac power users so so distribute it amongst your family i, I did the same thing we had um a bunch of like old documents about our family like one of my old relatives like got arrested for not wearing pants and i thought it was amazing so I scanned all that stuff and I sent it to everybody in my family. And so hopefully that stuff, you know, makes it around. Uh, we had a, a lovely note from Jeremy Burge. He was on a couple of weeks ago talking about his role in the Emojipedia empire. I, we can call it an empire, right? It's definitely an empire. For Jeremy, it is. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and it was just World Emoji Day just a couple of weeks ago where it's sort of formally announced what emoji we'll see later this year. Um, and Jeremy just wrote a, uh, wrote a really nice letter, uh, that we wanted to pass on to the listeners, uh, thanking y'all the listeners for, uh, the great feedback he got on his interview and his episode. And, uh, I thought it was really cool that so many people thanked him for being on and had additional questions and, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was really nice. And uh, I thought it was cool that he shared that with us. 
But what I liked about it was Jeremy is on TV all the time. I mean, he was just on Good Morning America recently. Yeah, yeah he, he's he's the real deal. And he summed up the letter saying, having been 50 plus times on the BBC radio and TV, he says, no single appearance has ever approached the feedback of one MPU guest spot. And that's why I continue to believe we have the best listeners in all of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the new emoji, have you looked at the new ones? Are you excited about them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there are uh, a bunch of them. And, and how it works is Emojipedia and others put out their sort of example art. So these aren't necessarily exactly how apples will look, but it lists all of the um, it lists all the ones that will be will be coming. So it is. Um, there's some good ones, you know, as, as time goes on, they get maybe harder to think of things that we should have because the, the collection is so expansive, but I'm very excited about the Ninja. I, I'll just say it. I'm excited about the Ninja. <laughs> yeah. yeah the ninja. Or the boomerang. I like the boomerang. Boomerang's too. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can always think of more, but yeah, the, you know, we got a Dodo bird. We've got a pinata. <laughs> I don't know. I like what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Bubble tea is a big deal in California. So now we got bubble tea emoji. Yep. There you go. The lungs one is just too close, though. <laughs> it's just too close. Why? Yeah, there's uh, why, why anatomical lungs and heart. It's like it's a lot of stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's, but Apple has shared now their versions of them, mm-hmm. and you know they're they're good. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. So they'll be out this fall. Oh, it's, I forgot. Tamale, that's the winner this year. Oh, that's oh, oh yeah, you're a big, big believer. Do, do you get tamales out there? Of course, yeah. Okay, I, I don't know, man. I just don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. You don't get California tamales, though. No, no. I'm going to get you one. Okay. Just going to mail it to me? Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Why is this box soggy? Why is it from California? <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Mint Mobile. The folks who can cut your wireless bill to $15 a month with their futuristic approach to wireless. Memobile's great. It's super easy to activate. You get the SIM card, all the directions, and you can be up and running in just a few minutes. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? There's expensive retail stores, inflated prices, hidden fees. There's ample opportunity that they take to take advantage of paying customers. That's where Mint Mobile comes in. It provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you, making it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and you can stop paying for that unlimited data plan that you know you're never using. Just choose between plans of 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Just ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for 15 bucks a month and get it shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com MPU. That's mintmobile.com MPU. Go there now and cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for their support of the show and Relay FM. We've got a special guest this week on the Mac Power Users. I'd like to welcome the show Marty Sobo, 
Marty is a blind listener who's been using the heck out of voice control, and he's given me the scoop. So I'd like to welcome to the show Marty Sobo. Marty is a listener who I've been corresponding with a while, and uh, Marty is, I guess we'll call you an expert on voice control. Marty, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am uh, originally from California, now living in Oregon. Uh, I lost my vision about five years ago, and at that point, I needed to sort of pivot and learn how to use my technology in some way. So, of course, previous to losing my vision, I didn't even know there was any sort of accessibility feature, so I needed to do a lot of research and get a lot of help. I came across VoiceOver, which I've been consistently using, which has been a lifesaver. You know, you can't believe what you can do until you need to know how to do it. So uh, that's been a, a huge help. And then, of course, we also have the uh, voice control, which is sort of how you control your computer with your voice. So they are two different things. The voice over would be speech to text. And what that means is your computer will read to you what's on your screen. And that would be anything. So, for example, if you're on your iPad, you know, it will tell you what icons you're on. So the clock, mail, messages, email, it'll tell you those things. And if you were to go into any of those things, it would give you the information inside. So, for example, messages, uh, you know, on the iPad, for example, it would tell you who it's from. You know, so, for example, there would be a new message from David Sparks, and then I would click on that, and then it would read to me the message that uh, you would send me. And that's how the voiceover works in a nutshell. You can use it on any application that comes built on to your device or your computer. Apple makes everything with their apps accessible out of the gate. Um, now, what is a little tricky is third-party apps are unfortunately not always built with the accessibility features. So you run into a lot of trial and error um, or possibly sending a message to the developer asking, hey, this app looks really cool. You know, does this work with voiceover or whatever accessibility feature you may need? Yeah, so let's, so, so the voiceover is basically providing data to the user. You know, it's telling you what app you're in or giving you the the text from your screen that's reading it out to you. That's correct. And then last year, Apple added voice control or a more complete version of voice control, and they went across all platforms. And it is interesting, I'll say, when I go to WWDC and meet up with Apple people, they have religion about, you know, accessibility features. They, you know, you can tell it is clearly something very important to them. So last year they announced this voice control and it's supposed to, in addition, allow you to, to dictate to your Mac or your iOS device, which is kind of my primary use case as someone who's not sight impaired, but it also allows you to control the device. How are they doing on that? They are doing pretty well, I must say. Um, of course, like anything, there's still some bugs that need to be worked out and some features that need to be worked out. Um, sometimes you get a little bit of glitchiness, things like that. But for the most part, it's incredible how well it works. So there's a couple things. 
they give you the ability when you dictate, because you can open up a text document, whatever you may use to do that. And it gives you the full dictation mode, similar to like Dragon was. So you don't have a timer, which is a huge frustration with a regular dictation mode uh, without voice control. It stops, I think, after a minute, I want to say maybe 60 seconds or maybe a minute and a half. I once timed it at 45 seconds, but I think it's gotten longer since then, but it still seems like it's, yeah. it always stops in the middle of a sentence. Right. So anyone who's into dictation, just that in itself is amazing. I would say go in there and turn that on because it takes the timer away and it gives you a lot of uh, really good features for, for the dictation. Um, aside from that, it also allows you to control your whole computer or your whole tablet. So you can actually say, uh, for example, uh, open up mail, uh, create new email to David Sparks, uh, subject, Mac power users. And then you go to the body and then you can dictate the whole message you'd like to say. Once you're done doing that, it could even proofread it to you, to you, although I would double check that to make sure before you hit the magical send button. But once you have all that, you can even tell it to send message and it will do that. Uh, you can also do things, open Safari, uh, search for uh, Mac power users or whatever you're looking for, and it will do that for you and then read the contents to you on the screen. You could say scroll up or scroll down. Uh, it's pretty cool. And one of the ways that I've learned to use it, which is actually uh, pretty interesting, I came across this on accident, but people that I work with have recently lost their vision, for example, and they don't know how to use the accessibility features, and I need to teach them um, voiceover. And with that, when you turn on the uh, voice control, you can use the voiceover controls by voice and so for example you can say uh, swipe right swipe left um, things like that and it will actually with your voice utilize the same voiceover controls that you would use with your uh, fingers to you know swipe around or anything like that yeah and and so again marty uh since losing his site one of the things you do is you coach people uh, how to use these accessibility features, right? Yeah, that's correct. I feel like that Apple is trying here. I'll tell you as someone who used Dragon traditionally, I still don't think the voice to text is quite there with voice control. But then I look at all the emails you and I have exchanged and I can't tell that they were dictated by someone who's legally blind. I mean, it, it they read just like as if you had sat there and typed them. I know that sounds like idiotic for me to say that, but you know, it, it seems like the service is working for you. Oh, it does. It works really well. Um, it's incredible how much you can do with it. Um, I will say, you know, you, I, I also do type traditionally. I mean, the problem with the voice control is you. it's only really useful to you when you're by yourself because you can't speak out loud in a room full of people or in an office environment or anything like that. So uh, you would be bothering everybody around you if you were talking to your computer all day long. So it has a downfall in that aspect. It's great when you're by yourself 
So yeah, most people who use it, use it kind of as a secondary tool, but you still need to be able to type as well. I mean, I don't think right now, unless you're always 100% by yourself, could you get away with not being able to still type in some form or another, even if it's using the on-screen keyboard. Now with voice, uh, with voiceover, you can put in earbuds so that no one else can hear what your uh, machine is uh, saying to you. But speaking out loud, there's no way to really uh, do that unless you're by yourself, unless you don't mind that everyone in the room is hearing what you're saying. Yeah. And I've used the voice dictation stuff in public places before, but usually I kind of isolate myself. Back, I remember back when you could go to a barber, I would always sit outside my barber's shop and dictate stuff like a crazy man uh, waiting to go in there. But now, now it's a lot easier because none of us can go anywhere. Yeah, definitely. I'm spending 95% of my time at home now. So, you know, I'm just in my home office and doing everything remotely with people as much as uh, you can. So, I mean. If somebody at, at Apple put you in charge of their accessibility program today and said, okay, give me two or three things we can do to make this better right now, what would they be? I would say the thing that comes to mind right now which would be amazing i know this sounds really simple and silly but when you go into the app store and you're looking at all the apps in there they'll say what it's compatible with family share it is compatible with this iphone and it works on ipad or watch or anything it would be great if they put in a couple of extra spaces that says yes this works with voiceover or any other accessibility feature that someone may need because a lot of times you don't know if it does or doesn't. And they don't tell you whether it does or doesn't. So I spent a lot of money in the past trying to test out apps I thought were really cool, all to be disappointed that you know the uh, accessibility features don't work on those apps. So I try now to hope there's a free version or I will try to email the developer and say, does your app work with any of the voiceover or voice access or any of the accessibility features that are available to us? And they don't come like that. That's a great idea. You know, they just added that feature that they're going to cover like privacy and, um, you know, with this most recent WWDC in the app store, they're going to talk about the app developers privacy policies. Mm-hmm. Why not have accessibility, you know, um, like even just a checkbox that it does work with voiceover, voice control. And gang, if you're listening right now and you got 10 minutes, go to apple.com slash feedback and just give that feedback to Apple. Hey, why not put it in the app store? Whether something has voice control or uh, uh, voiceover accessibility features turned on. If, if all the MP listeners did that, that would uh, make a lot of noise in certain halls in Cupertino. Yes, it would. And that would be amazing support for the accessibility community. They'd appreciate it. So what, what else would you change if they put you in charge? Uh, let's see. What else? Um, I would say in terms of accessibility, you know, it would be great if they could be on top of making sure that the bugs in accessibility get worked out as fast as they work out other bugs. You know, a lot of times there'll be bugs in the accessibility features that come and it takes them a really long time to get those bugs worked out. I'm not sure if the accessibility team is smaller. I'm not really sure what goes on there, but sometimes it's uh, not too much of an issue, but 
a lot of times it is. And so for someone like me, it's really difficult to, even when they release the gold master of an operating system, if my device crashes or doesn't work with the accessibility features, it's pretty much useless to me anyway, or to anyone who needs those features. So uh, I wait usually just out of nervousness to make sure that it's going to be safe for me to be able to put the new operating system on my device without any huge uh, hassle. So my uh, thing would be hopefully they can get those accessibility bugs worked out as quickly as they could get any other bugs worked out. Are there any websites or places where uh, accessibility users kind of weigh in on the betas to let people know what they're experiencing? Yeah, there is a really great Apple uh, website, and it's called Apple Viz. So it's uh, A-P-P-L-E-V-I-S dot com. And that's a huge Apple accessibility community. And they're actually in the process right now of revamping their website to bring it up to the more current technology. And it's actually uh, run by uh, blind developers as well. So they got some great podcasts on there specifically for accessibility. They also have um, a lot of articles and knowledge. Uh, another thing I would say is they're on Relay FM. They have uh, Parallels a podcast. And the host of that podcast is amazing. She really dives in deep on all the accessibility stuff. And as a matter of fact, in the one that just came out a couple of days ago, uh, she does a really fantastic interview with um, uh, Herlinger. I can't remember what her first, Sarah Herlinger, I believe her name is. And she's uh, in charge of accessibility at Apple. It, it was a really good conversation. I would definitely uh, follow that podcast if you want to hear about accessibility yeah and that's i believe shelly is the host for that shelly brisbane yes yeah shelly's great she's been on mpu in the past and um i'll tell you i'm going to add one to the list too i think apple needs to get off the high horse with dictation and just let users have an optional training file i mean i feel like the difference between dragon and apple's voice control with respect to voice detect dictation is dragon requires you to do a training file so it's able to customize the engine to your own quirks and apple doesn't want to do that i think they feel like hey we're going to make it so good that you don't have to waste time training but you know what what if i want to waste time you know just to make it a little better make it optional so people who really want to use a lot of it they can go in and do their own training file just like that just like that, Marty, we solved all their problems. Yeah, there we go. I think we're going to be the next two up there, you know, running the show. Well, well, Marty, thank you for, number one, keeping me abreast of what's going on in the community and, and how it's working out for you. I was so thrilled to read your emails over the last, I guess, about six months or so we've been corresponding as things are getting yeah. better and easier for you. And I hope Apple keeps making this a priority. If people want to find out more about you, Marty, where do they go? Email's good. Um, I would say you can go ahead and email me. Uh, if you want to put my email uh, there, you could. But for those, it's my first initial, so M. And then my last name is S-O-B as in boy, O, at Mac.com. So msobo at Mac.com. All right, everybody, don't take advantage of Marty's email. Just send him an email if you want to say something really nice to him or you have a good <laughs> question for him. Don't send them to uh, African princes, okay? 
<laughs> Marty, thanks again for coming on and maybe we'll talk again in the future to, to keep up with it. And, and, uh, thanks so much for, uh, for all the great information you shared with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, David. I really had a great time. Okay. Now let's bring Steven back in and get back to the feedback. Uh, listener Brian wrote in with a good question. He said, give us some uh, Mac power user experience and advice on remote assistance with iPhones and iPads. He says social distancing makes resolution of problems experienced by extended families more difficult. And while screen sharing with a Mac is straightforward, it's not so obvious how to troubleshoot an 85 year old's iPad if she doesn't have a Mac to connect to. I think that's a great question and it really kind of exposes a problem with Apple, but, but let's start with the first half of that Mac screen sharing. What do you think the best way to do that is today? I think the best way to do it is to have everyone have messages on their Mac and you can click, there's a screen share button uh, in messages when you're having that conversation with somebody it's under the details button. And then you can share your screen or ask someone else to share their screen just over messages. And I use this with, uh, you know, my handful of like tech support customers. I haven't done any house visits in like four months and I've been able to do everything over screen sharing with messages because everyone's got iMessage set up on their Mac and it's all really straightforward. And I like that it's built in. You don't have to go out and tell them to install something else. It's just all native. I also like that Apple continues to be a company dedicated to privacy of users and you're not installing anybody else's wacky software or mm -hmm. going through anybody else's wacky server. So it, it, I think it's not only easy, it's probably the most secure way to do it. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, on the iPad, you do have to install another tool with <laughs> someone's wacky yeah. server. This, yeah. this is something I really wish Apple would address. I wish they would bring this to the iPad in particular, but also the phone because... For a lot of a growing number of people, I would think these could be their only devices and it is imperative that they be able to get support on them directly. So uh, I found a nine to five Mac article. I also talked to Federico Vitici, the editor in chief of MacStories.net. I texted him and said, hey, uh, we've got this listener question. What do you recommend? Because they've looked at all these uh, all these tools before. And the the winner is, uh, according to him, and I think nine to five, uh, an application called Team Viewer. So this is an app that is made for remote meetings and that sort of thing. But you can use it to gain remote access with permission, of course, to someone's iOS screen, so iPhone or iPad. I have the article where they tell you how to do this in the show notes. Unfortunately, it's all pretty uh, it's pretty weird on on iOS yeah. cuz you have to set up screen recording and you got to go into control center and um it's a bit messy but it does work but it's not nearly as nice as it could be if they just brought over the Mac tech <laughs> how do you think Brian's 85 year old relative is going to handle setting up team viewer <laughs> that's the thing and, and zoom basically has you know we've talked about zoom their security track record is not awesome but i can just hear it in your voice right now yeah, uh, zoom uh, i have a zoom call this afternoon i can't wait but it is yeah. basically the same process because apple just hasn't opened up hooks for this into ios and ipad os but team viewer seems to be kind of the go to and it could be that 
you set it up for them the first time and like, you know, you, you can walk them through it. But I think the the low tech version of, of doing this is if they have an iPhone and an iPad, have them FaceTime you from whatever product they're not having an issue with. And it's like FaceTime you on the phone, showing you the iPad screen and you walking them through it. That is obviously not ideal, but it's probably easier than trying to set up team viewer remotely for somebody. Yeah. Or, or I guess you could stand in grandma's front lawn yeah. and tell her to throw the iPad through the window, like a Frisbee mm. or even better, like, like a boomerang now that we've got an emoji. Well, and well you've got to intercept you, it then. Cause then it's just going to go back to her. That's not helping anybody. Yeah, well, you, you catch it mid throw, okay. but I just wanted to get the boomerang in there. Sure. And then you've got to set up team viewer. You've got to Clorox the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to frisbee it back to her without hurting her. Wow. Well, hopefully she doesn't good. have the big iPad. That thing's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll work too. I don't know. I feel like this is real low hanging fruit for Apple. It They've is. already figured it out on the Mac. Why don't we have this on yeah. iPad and iPhone too, frankly? They even preserved it on the Mac. So in Mac OS Big Sur, Mac OS Mac Sir. Big, big OS Mac, sir, there is the new messages app, which is Catalyst, and they preserve the screen sharing functionality. So it's in the code base. Just put it on the iOS devices. It, there's <sighs> somebody at Apple that knows how to write this. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, it would it would save all of us so much time with relatives and, and friends and stuff with iOS devices. And I think that Apple has need for this sort of thing as well, right? They have some remote support tools, but it'd be great if the rest of us did too. I am. I recently listened to an episode of um, ATP accidental tech podcast, Mm -hmm. and they got into a discussion of does the iPad still work for people who need a very simple computer? Hmm. Like, has it gotten too complicated for just, I mean, I get you can turn off all the multitasking so it, it acts as one app at a time. But, you know, if you accidentally open split view, look, I know what I'm doing. And sometimes I'm confused in split view. Yeah, I, I, I would argue it absolutely does still work. Um, the You can turn the multitasking stuff off. And just from my own experience, I've got some family members that are not tech savvy at all. And they are 100% iPad users. I even argue maybe iPad power users going into the settings, changing, you know, the text display sizes and doing things that they would not know how to do on a Mac. I mean, you just can't understate how much easier it is to operate an iPad for someone that doesn't understand computers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have we have weird stuff happen all the time on our Macs. And because we're nerds and we listen to Mac power users, we know to go into activity monitor and kill the you know, the rampant, you know, demon, or we, you know, we just know all the tricks. We know about fixing the font files and stuff like that. But you give an iPad to a normal person and a Mac to a normal person, I guarantee you they're going to get more done with the iPad. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, in comparison to the Mac, it's a, it's a huge win, but I didn't think it could be more confusing than it, than it once was. Yeah, I I agree, but it's uh, overall, I think it's fine. And and I think a, a lot of people don't even know those features exist. Yeah, and, yeah. and you can turn them off. So like on my kids' iPads, it's just off, so I don't have to answer the questions. But it is possible to get an iPad into a state that if you're not familiar with it, that I think it could be a little daunting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I guess not a lot of controversy here today. No, not yet. <laughs> still time. Uh, there's still time. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. One of the greatest challenges we face is taking all the information available to us and knowing where to focus. Look, it happens in all areas of, of life. David has a whole podcast about this sort of thing, but it's a real problem when it comes to hiring. You could have a really large pool of talent. You could have uh, you know, conflicted feelings about people, different team members, different things. Look, I've done hiring. It's hard. But with Indeed, you have access to the largest pool of talent and can hire the right people quickly. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because it gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, it gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. So you're only paying for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. So maybe you're a smaller business. You're not always hiring. You're not stuck in some sort of long-term contract with a hiring site. Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search easy, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed every month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering MPU listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates quickly. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MPU is their best offer available just for us. So go right now to Indeed.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions apply. Offer is valid through September 30th. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. All right, stuff we are playing with. What, what have you been up to? I wanted to go back to the AirPods. Okay. We talked about it briefly in today's episode. So kind of give you the story. I bought the original generation AirPods, loved them. The uh, battery started dying in them when they came out with the second generation. I bought that. And then they came out with the AirPods Pro and I bought that too. So so the, uh, the, the first ones I purchased, I've given to my daughter, but they're no longer really usable uh, because the batteries just do not hold. Uh, the second generation ones I was intending to give to my daughter once I got the AirPods Pro, but Steven, I haven't done that yet. So are you, you're using both types? I am double fisting AirPods. Are, are you using them for different things? Like is one your workout set and one for phone calls? Like how does this play out? Yeah, I, you know, it's weird, right? So I have, um, I really like the noise canceling feature of the AirPods Pro. Back when I used to travel, that was amazing. And but the other thing is I've moved the studio down to a common area of the house. So often I'll be working and I can hear the TV going off in the next room. And the AirPods Pro absolutely put me in a black box that way. I don't hear anything. So much so that like when the doorbell rings or somebody is walking through the room, they have to tap me on the shoulder because I have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. So they're perfect for isolation. I don't necessarily like the feeling of them in my ears. I get used to it. Um, I went ahead and ordered off Amazon, and I'll put a link in the show notes, some aftermarket um, memory foam um, inserts for them. And they're, they were like $10, and they work way better for me than the rubber inserts that the AirPods ship with. And I just kind of you know push them into my ears, and they stay in, and it's a solid seal, and the noise cancellation is awesome. 
However, like when I take the dog for a walk or when I, there's certain things I do where I'm just kind of moving around. Mm -hmm. And quite often I do that with just one AirPod, you know, where I'll just be the old Bluetooth, you know, bozo with, with one thing in my ear. But I find that the older AirPods are kind of more comfortable for that. Yeah, I've just got the AirPods too. I, I don't, I tried the pros. They weren't for me. I returned to them and I've been really happy with just the, the sort of the basic ones. I've had this pair for a little over a year and they've, they've been rock solid. I use them almost every day for either working out or phone calls or, or both. And AirPods are just a, a product that I just, I love what they offer. I love being able to move around freely with no cables. I mean, Anytime that I forget them and, and have to use my emergency like backup wired headphones, it feels like stepping into the past. Yeah. So for now, at least during the pandemic, the AirPods 2 are in my pocket at all times. The AirPods Pro are at my desk. And I use them both hours a day. But the um, when things sort out, mm-hmm. like when when I could go back to Starbucks to work, I would want to use the Pros because I want to isolate myself. You know, anytime I just don't want to be interrupted... I think actually we'll use the AirPods Pro more when we can leave the house again. But uh, I, it just, I, I just I just thought it was interesting that I have a real use case for both of them. I feel a little guilty about having both of them, but it's not so guilty that I'm not going to stop using both of them. Sure. Yeah. Well, they're very different. I think that really surprised me in how different they are from each other. It, both in yeah. feel and, I mean, obviously in features, but even in feel. I mean, those tips just totally change the game. And for some people, they just don't work. Well, I, I do like, I feel them, you know, like the, the AirPods Pro. And I do like, I'll take them out and scratch my ear once in a while. But man, the I just can't get over how good the noise cancellation is. Because traditionally, I've been using a pair of Bose noise canceling headphones. And it was such a pain every time I traveled because they're big and they take up space and I like to travel light. And now I'm not going to use them anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm can, you know, so, so it's really nice. Uh, but the, uh, you know, good on Apple. I mean, and, and the, the way it works throughout the product line, uh, we mentioned already in this episode, how I can use them while I watch Apple TV, but I also use them when I watch stuff on my iPad. I, I do a lot of audio through my, airpod all day and and part of that is because we've got four people in a relatively small house we're trying to give each other a little space and i don't want to be blasting you know my youtube video <laughs> about stoicism to the whole family you know so <laughs> yeah so you know it, it works that's great now you i saw on instagram a picture that you'd gone to a park mm-hmm. and it had a cool picture where the park was upside down and i said Mr. Hackett bought a lens ball. I did. I I succumbed to the Instagram ads that were beating me down. So the lens ball, I also have a link to the Amazon page. It's 80 millimeter. It's the size I got. Glass sphere. And it comes with a little base. You can. It's got a quarter 20, so you can put it on a tripod. This photo you're talking about, I'm just holding it. And it refracts light through the ball. And so you can get all sorts of interesting photos uh, shooting through the lens ball. So the one in the show notes is one that I took of some wildflowers and I just, it's such a fun toy. It, it's, it's something that you could overdo in your photography. I think like I'm not going to shoot everything looking through this thing, but 
every once in a while, it's a fun way to get kind of a weird shot. And my brother and I went out and shot with it and we did shots of like pouring water over it. So the refractions change. It's just a really fun photography toy. And I've had, I've really enjoyed it over the last few weeks. How much do they cost? Uh, the 80 millimeter, which I think is the bigger of the two with the little like suction cup tripod thing is 48 bucks. The 60 millimeter, the smaller one is only 30. So not, not too bad. Yeah, they are cool. And like, we're all stuck home doing, you know, looking for things to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this actually could be fun. You know, take a picture of the, the cat through the lens ball. Yeah, I really yeah. want to take it to the beach. Like my favorite example photos I found are with it, like a, with a wave crashing over it or something. So at some point I'll get to take it out further than just the park and the neighborhood. But it is been a lot of fun. It's kind of challenging to shoot with. Like you've got to really be on your game with focus because you can just totally blow it because you're shooting through a glass sphere. But it's yeah. been uh, it's been a fun treat. Although I would not recommend using this for taking the archival video of grandma. No. I'm not sure that would no, she's work. upside down tiny. Uh, you don't, you don't want that. Yeah. You don't want that at all. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are so many great little camera accessories coming out. Like the, the one that I have trouble avoiding are led light panels. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's got my number. Cause I get an email for this. Like every other day, it's like, Here's, you know, $40 and it's a light panel that fits in your pocket and it can, I just love the idea of this, this LED light where you can adjust the temperature, super portable, and it runs on a battery forever because it's LED. And it's just like such a big improvement over what lighting used to be. Oh yeah. That for some reason, I feel like I need to own like 10 of them. <laughs> hey, I've got a couple. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Lens ball. All right. The the only other thing, uh, real quick, is that on our Apple Watch episode last week, I said that the Apple Watch Sports Loop was like the sweatpants of Apple Watch bands, and yeah. I got some feedback from people saying that was a little harsh. Um, <laughs> I told my wife about it. She wears one. She wears that watch band every day. She did not appreciate my comment. So I've been wearing it the last week, and while the looks are not something that I would wear out, uh, I don't think it's particularly nice looking. Uh, it is very comfortable. So I've been wearing it, uh, not necessarily to work out in because I don't want it to absorb all the sweat, but here in the office and around the house, I've been wearing it. And uh, I got to say, it's better than I remembered uh, comfort wise. So like I said on the show, they're like $10 on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So I have like 10 of them. Yeah. I have almost every color and I, I'll like change it every day while I, you know, like, hey, I'm wearing a blue shirt today. I'll put the blue one on. And I do think about that every time Stephen Hackett thinks that I'm the sweatpants guy. Yeah, that was maybe I, harsh. I honestly, that goes through my mind as I switch it. Sorry. <laughs> so this public apology is appreciated. Yeah, So, or maybe it's not an apology, but I've just slipped into sweatpants <laughs> life too. But it is yeah. comfortable. Um, I've got, Can't beat them, join Yeah, them. I've got a black one. It's an old one that has lots of like color threads in it. So it looks kind of cool with the titanium. Um, so yeah, been I've been on that train this week. I have to admit, though, when I go out, I actually upgrade. You know, I put the leather one on or something better. Yeah. I I have subconsciously been treating my my poor watch bands as sweatpants as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe that should be the rule. If you are wearing outside clothes, you got to put on your outside watch band. I could go with that. And are you still wearing your watch more? Yeah. I mean, I've I've worn it pretty consistently for a while now. The last couple of weeks, a lot, because we did the Apple Watch episode. And 
I did not wear it on Sunday. Sunday uh, was kind of a lazy day around here. So Saturday I was outside all day building this overly complicated porch swing apparatus. But uh, we, I basically turned a porch swing into a glider and had to build this frame for it. It was a real nightmare. Anyways, uh, so Sunday I basically stayed inside and hung out and didn't put the Apple Watch on and felt kind of weird that I didn't have it. I was like, oh no, what what time is it? What what if someone's trying to text me? Of course, no one was because it's Sunday. But it's funny how quickly you get used to something. Yeah, I was trying to deal with some client stuff that was kind of stressful yesterday and I found myself, I was going to bed. I was still thinking about it and like, I need to do a short meditation and just kind of get myself centered before I go to bed. And uh, the Apple Watch does have a meditation activity as well. So I thought, well, hey, I'll just turn that on as well and get some credit for it, right? I'd already hit my rings for the day, but you know, why not pile on another 10 minutes, right? So, um, so I did that and then I brushed my teeth and went to bed and I woke up this morning. I realized I never turned off that activity. So <laughs> I woke up this morning at like, at like seven o'clock. I already had seven standing hours Wow! and I had like eight hours of activity the green ring just kept going around and around, wow. and around. And I think all my friends that like follow my activity there are thinking, man, Dave is just, he's just a, he's a loser. He did an eight hour meditation. He wants to get activity. Let's credit see for this. That. Oh yeah. 484 <laughs> exercise minutes. <laughs> Look at that. You've already, you've already knocked out your stand. That I, I don't, is hysterical. I don't know, man. <laughs> I guess so. If you ever want to just like, you know, and yeah. uh, just set yourself to meditate and go to sleep. I assume that you got some uh, <laughs> some awards for that. Let's see. You got an exercise record, of course. <laughs> I'm such a fraud. Uh, you I'm got a, a move goal. You got a move record. All of these awarded today. Wow. 400% your move goal. Man. I, I feel like you're adding to my shame. Steve. I mean, I loaded it and it took like 10 <laughs> seconds for the animation to stop. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, and also, I woke up with my watch at like twenty percent charge. So, oh, I'm was, sure it was that too. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, that made my day. That's that's so good. Yeah. Well, there you go, team. Mm-hmm. One way to hit your rings: <laughs> set it to meditate, go to sleep. <laughs> I'm not done. I'm still going to do my hike today. So that that ring is going to get full more. Oh yeah. I mean, you have a free pass, but I'm proud that you are going to still do do the right thing uh so i do the hikes now and i i wear masks because because mm-hmm. right i am such a weirdo when i do these hikes it's like i'm so social distancing right now california is a mess but anyway uh like i said i think i beat you today in rings yeah i think you beat everybody today all right so that does it for today's episode uh for more power users steven disclosed something about himself recently about the way he organizes his photos library he has fifty thousand images and all but four of them are organized into albums mm-hmm. and i have so much to talk to him about we're going to talk about that in more power users <laughs> today um but either way uh, thank you to our sponsors one password miro mint mobile and indeed and we'll see you all next week <laughs>